Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The Priceless Treasure of Jesus, with a message titled, What Matters Most? So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. We live in a day which many have described as a day of information overload. You know, think of almost any subject matter. I mean, the amount of information available on it is so vast, it's almost impossible to grasp it all. And besides that, the false or misleading or partial information can easily confuse. And for that reason, everyone makes a choice. We choose what we will pay attention to, and we choose to tune out other things. Now, that's just what it means to live in today's world. A great many of us tune out a great deal of information long before we've even acquainted ourselves with what that information might mean or whether it's important. You know, in some ways, the the mountain of information on any topic, well, that's a good thing. I mean, after all, it, it allows us to study, to learn, to grow, to appreciate. But on the other hand, it's a negative thing because it does train us to ignore and to become indifferent, to become apathetic, especially about the things that are of eternal value. And what I'm thinking about here is a great company of men and women who never think about God or about eternity or about death or about, you know, not the things that happen to interest them, but the things that matter most. I'm thinking about the person who knows every major statistic concerning the professional sports team that they love, and they know nothing of the God who created him or her and before whom that person must give an account. It's just that their minds are occupied in other things. So he ignores what matters most. It's called information overload. We've come in our study of Hebrews to the second chapter. We're reminded that this book was written to a primarily Jewish group of early Christians who, because of persecution and pressure, were tempted to abandon Christ and return to Judaism. And after explaining to them in chapter 1 the glory of Jesus and just how much they'd have to give up if they abandoned Christ, chapter 2 begins with the word, therefore. That is, on the basis of what you've been taught about Jesus, therefore something follows. So what is it? Well, it's this. You have to pay attention. You must not get distracted from this subject matter. So let me read the complete text. It's Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So let's begin by making a statement. There will be five occasions in this book, and this is the first of these occasions, where Hebrews gives us a stern warning. Second one's found in Hebrews 3, verse 7 to chapter 4, verse 13. The third in Hebrews 5, 11 to 6, 20. The fourth in Hebrews 10, 19 to 39. And the final in Hebrews 12, 14 to 29. Each one of those warnings is direct and they're very disconcerting. I'll say this at the outset. There are those like myself who argue that genuine believers cannot, cannot lose their salvation, but they will endure and be faithful to Christ unto the end. Now, there are others who argue that genuine believers can lose their salvation, and I'll discuss that more when, God willing, I discuss particularly Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 10. 
But regardless of where you come out on this, let me put it directly. The idea that you can pray the sinner's prayer and then go on your way, never paying attention to the commands of Christ. Well, by the time you finish Hebrews, Hebrews will disabuse you of that sheer nonsense. But let's start with the first warning of the book. If it is really so that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, that he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, that he not only created the universe, but that he upholds the universe, and that he is superior to all other things, that if that's so, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. That's a principal command of this passage. Pay attention, but not just pay attention. There are qualifiers. Pay much attention. Now, we might say undivided attention. Don't let yourself get distracted and pay closer attention. That is, look more deeply into the things of Christ than you've been doing up to this point in time. So that's the positive command, but it's quickly followed by a negative. Lest we drift away. That one word translated drift away, well, it's an ancient nautical word. It comes from the world of shipping. How easy before the days of a GPS to allow a ship to drift off course. But it's also possible when a ship was in the harbor, if it had not been securely fastened, that it might drift from its moorings, and by morning light, it's far adrift. It's at sea and people are lost. And the point is that the first signs of drift were not perceptible, or if they were, it didn't seem to be a big deal. But what at first was a small error, off course just a bit. Over time, the amount of drift is so great that a ship could truly become lost at sea and the end result would be catastrophic. Well, what practically might that look like? Well, here's a quote from Kevin DeYoung. Here's what he said. Sliding into liberalism is when you no longer take the time to make the effort to define your terms. Now, I have as a theologian and as a pastor seen this occur more than once. Jesus is the Son of God. That's a theological statement. But what does it mean? Well, some believe it to mean that God the Father created Jesus, so he's the Son. So in that sense, he came into being after the Father. Listen, but from the very beginning, the Son of God was always defined as the eternal Son of the Father. That is, Jesus eternally begotten of the Father, meaning if the Father has a Son, then the Son shares all the attributes of the Father, which includes his eternality. Now, I know there are those who are listening to me right now who might say, ah, oh, that's theological language, and I tend not to pay attention to that. And because you're not paying attention, you're drifting from the truth. Ah, but drifting when I'm not paying attention to the meaning of the Son of God? That, at least in the minds of some, is not as important as that God gives you confidence and power and ability to live your life to your fullest potential. That, in their minds, is what's really important. The other part, that's just doctrines for theologians, they say. And so they drift. The Trinity, yeah, they believe it, but they couldn't define it. Justification by grace through faith alone. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard that before, but it can't be that important. I'd rather find out the biblical principles for becoming prosperous. And again, this view that I'm only interested in practical matters, and we hear the thundering of the book of Hebrews against this. See, after describing in great detail the divinity of Christ, the writer says, you're in danger of drifting from this. The danger is very real, and the only solution to the problem is that you pay much closer attention. Now, I argue that's true of the entire gospel message. It was Dr. Al Mohler who said, that when it comes to embracing the gospel message, the true gospel, it comes about through conversion. That is, we're confronted by our sin. 
We're confronted by the truth of Christ. We're told of the cross. We're commanded to repent and believe in the good news. That is, it all comes to us in one fell swoop. But when it comes to liberalism, it comes in one little drip after another. One little change, of course, not so great to make a real difference, and then another. And the true saving news comes all at once, but liberal drift happens in small, incremental pieces. Now, please allow me to ride my hobby horse for a while. Many Christian Bible colleges, because of great many pressures, have included a great many classes not related to the Bible at all. They include psychology classes and sociology classes, counseling, outdoor leadership classes. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And with every hour spent in one of those classes, there is a subtraction from the hours spent learning the text of Scripture, the gospel, systematic theology, biblical theology, the art of interpretation of Scripture, the history of our faith, and so on. And so Bible college students now graduating know less, not more than their predecessors. The amount they don't know often just stuns me. So here's a command from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. The command is not to pay less attention to what we've heard. The command is to double down. If the great concern in Hebrews is the potential that the glories of Jesus Christ would be abandoned for what is inferior, then the solution is to learn more about Jesus, pay attention to more, resist being distracted more, to expand our knowledge of Jesus and the gospel more. It is to be clear on what we mean when we say God or Jesus, or gospel, or justification, or sanctification, or the Holy Spirit, or the church, or sin, or the cross, or the coming of our Lord. Not vague, but informed. But oh, that's doctrine, some say, and I just don't do doctrine. But rather, that's doctrine. And when it comes to the truths of Jesus and my faith, say some, that's not my wheelhouse. That's not where I pay attention. So how else will you fight the battle of your faith if it is not by truth? And how will you know the truth if you don't pay attention? Very good, let's move on. Having given the basic command, the book of Hebrews now gives two reasons to pay attention. Therefore, we must pay more closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And then verses two to three a, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Back to the Bible Canada is wrapping up another fiscal year. And what a year it's been. God's blessing on this ministry has been so evident and and we're humbled to carry out the mission entrusted to Back to the Bible Canada. You can continue to depend upon our daily Bible teaching broadcast with Dr. John and his weekly video series. New print resources have been created to encourage believers in their spiritual walk and more are planned for this upcoming ministry year. But none of these incredible advancements would be possible without the faithful support of our listeners. Your generosity sustains this ministry, and together the gospel is being propelled into every corner of this country and beyond. To offer a gift to support this month's fiscal year-end match campaign, would you visit us at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.
we've already made the case that whenever the book of Hebrews mentions angels, it's referring to the fact that angels played a key role in the giving of the law. And so he's saying that if the lesser were true, that is, if the giving of the law was so important so that every violation of the law received a just retribution, then moving to the greater, what should occur if we drift from the truth of Jesus? Is that not more serious? So let's do a bit of homework. The First Testament is filled with examples of God's wrath against those who violate the law. Let's begin with the book of Leviticus. There is in the 27 chapters of that book, only one historical narrative, and that takes place in chapter 10. Aaron the high priest has four sons. Two of them, Nadab and Abihu, took censers, put fire in them, and offered up incense in the tabernacle. Now, that event wouldn't make the pages of our Bible. I mean, after all, that's what priests do. But in the case of these two young men, Nadab and Abihu, the incense they offered was not authorized by God. That is, when you brought an offering before God, you had to bring the offering that God instructed you to bring. Same's true when you offer up incense in the tabernacle. And the lesson here is that God is not approached on our terms. No, no, God is approached on his terms. He directs us as to how we might approach his presence. An example of that might be approaching a powerful king, the ruler of a vast empire, a man whose will is the law. Well, you don't dance into his throne room wearing tap dancing shoes or a clown's nose or elephant ears. You get instructions as to what you should wear, where your eyes should go, where you must stand, how to speak, and when you are allowed to speak. Well, God's greater than an earthly king, but Nadab and Abihu showed no appreciation for that, none at all. They offered up no prescribed incense, but the kind of incense that pleased them. And then Leviticus chapter 10, verse 2 says, Fire came out from before the Lord, and it consumed the two men, and they died there on the spot. Listen then to verse 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near to me, I will be sanctified, or I'll be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Indeed, Aaron wasn't even permitted to weep for his sons. So great was this infraction. And what happened in Leviticus 10 is not only an example of such an action. Go ahead to Numbers chapter 16. The chapter begins by saying that there was a man whose name was Korah. He was joined by two other men. One was Dathan, the other was Abiram. They rose up against Moses and they inspired 250 chiefs in the nation to join them in the rebellion. The matter at stake was whether these men would be content with God's choice for their leader. Will they follow God's command, or will these men arrange the government and leadership of God's people on their own terms? So here's the outcome of the matter. Number 16, 32 to 33. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Just like that. That's what the writer of the Hebrews is referring to when he says that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. God is ready to defend his law against rebels. Indeed, so severe were these threats that the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 58, says that if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, verse 59, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, severe and lasting. Indeed, that's the story of the great drama at the very center of the First Testament, which is the drama of the Babylonian captivity. 
when the Babylonians broke down the walls of Jerusalem and burnt the temple to the ground and murdered many in the city and took survivors in misery into exile. You know, in the future, led by Ezra the priest, Israel would confess all the sins that took place because Israel did not obey the law that God had given her. Yes, every transgression and disobedience received a just, that is, a righteous retribution. And that's why, later in the book of Hebrews, the author will say, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, as someone's going to answer and say, yeah, but that was the Old Testament, and thankfully, God doesn't act that way anymore. Now he forgives, and he knows we all make mistakes, and even if we don't pay close attention, he understands. We, we just get distracted. Again, look at what Hebrews says. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we, we Christians, escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Understand that this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If in the lesser, that is in the giving of the law, the transgressors of that law received retribution and that law was not as glorious as the giving of the gospel, then how shall we escape, we who have received the greater glory of God in the face of Christ? But again, some are going to say, yeah, well, look, the reason the gospel is greater is that because there is no retribution in the gospel, there's only mercy. Ah, let's consider the words of Jesus. He's speaking to the people of Capernaum, where he had done more miracles than he had done in any other location. Matthew eleven twenty three to 24. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You know, some of us are shocked to find out that there's not one biblical person that warned and threatened hell more than Jesus. If the only vision you have of Jesus is someone who allows people to go their own way and never offers a negative word, clearly you haven't been paying attention. Consider Matthew 18, verse 9. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. That is, says Jesus, remember that if you deliberately keep on sitting, place yourself then into the danger of eternal hell. It's a stern warning. It makes the gospel of Jesus so remarkable. You see, on the cross, Jesus suffered the wrath that was reserved for us. And because of the greatness of his sacrificial love for us on the cross, we must not think that this is to be trifled with. What else is left of us but to repent and throw ourselves unreservedly onto his grace? And that's the point. If after we apparently come to Christ that we should drift one step at a time so that we're finally lost again, then do you think that the warnings of the law are lesser than the warnings against falling away from Jesus and his gospel? I know someone's going to ask, but I thought you said you can't lose your salvation. Listen, here's what I said. If anyone is truly saved, he will pay attention to the warnings and repent from drifting away and center themselves again on Christ. Now, I need to move on in spite of how grave this warning is. There's a second thing that's also said about paying attention and not drifting away from it, and that's found in Hebrews 2, 3b to 4. Let's read it now. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. See, the second reason for paying attention is not a warning. Instead, a statement of the precious nature of the gospel. The gospel was declared first by none other than Jesus himself. The gospel isn't a theory. It's not a philosophy. 
It's a message that came to us from heaven, and it was declared to us by the eternal Son of God. God thought this message so important that he entrusted it to no one else but his only begotten Son. But apparently, not even that was enough. God bore witness that this was his Son and that the message that the Son was declaring was true. At his baptism, the Father spoke and declared, This is my beloved Son. And then as Jesus ministered, he gave sight to people born blind. He instantly healed people afflicted with leprosy. He made people born lame to walk. He cast out evil spirits. He multiplied bread and fish in his hands and miraculously fed thousands. He walked on water. He commanded nature and it obeyed his voice. He even raised the dead. And then he himself rose from his own tomb with an indestructible body. And if that wasn't enough, adds our passage. It is borne witness by gifts of the Holy Spirit given to people today so that they might do the works of Jesus. In short, there is no message ever heard on this earth that has come in this fashion. Well, what of it? What of it? We must pay attention. We must review the message constantly. Don't neglect the hearing of the preaching of Scripture. Don't neglect the reading of Scripture. Don't stop rehearsing the gospel because there's nothing this world has that compares to what has been given. Pay attention! For if you turn from this, you incur rightful condemnation. So I want to end by noting that a tragedy has occurred in our day. The tragedy is that experience in the minds of some is better than doctrine. That practical application is better than eternal truth. Look, I'm not saying that experience is unimportant or that application should be neglected. But if we neglect the eternal doctrines of Christ and his gospel, nothing else remains but the wrath of God. Pay attention. Thanks so much, John. Simple question. Can we really understand what it means to be a Christian without referencing and studying the Bible? Yeah, the Bible is given to us as, uh, you know, the psalmist says that a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. And, um, you know, I, I do say this, that uh, you will formulate your own religion. You won't even realize that you don't have the, the faith that's once for all delivered to the saints until you're paying attention to the actual text of Scripture and what it's teaching you. So that's our call. I mean, pay close attention to what you have heard. Pay close attention. Pay attention. And if you've never heard it, you need to learn it and then pay attention. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, The Priceless Treasure of Jesus, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Once in a while, we become overwhelmed when we consider the generosity of those who share our heart for Bible teaching. And this is one of those times. Earlier this month, we shared about a group of committed partners who pledged a matching donation of up to $100,000 to help us reach our fiscal year-end goal of $325,000. Well, we can't express our appreciation enough for the impact of this pledge. But we're also excited to share that this same group has extended an additional matching pledge amounting $50,000. So, if you haven't already, perhaps you'd consider sending a gift today. You can literally double the dollars you choose to give. 
What a great ministry investment. What a great investment in sharing the truth of God's Word. Help us finish well and begin a new year of promising ministry. Just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.